Early voting by absentee ballots are up dramatically, so we're very bullish on our ability to win. Uh-oh. That may not be a good sign. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Never is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove on Queso, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Seattle's KODX. Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI. In Round Mountain, California on KKRN. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. And yes, the sharp-eared listener will uh, recognize that what had been WLRI in Pennsylvania, our affiliate out there, News Radio in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, had become WTPA in recent weeks, and now it's back to... WLRI. I won't go into the many uh, woes being overcome by the good folks at WLRI and its uh, champion general manager and program director and chief bottle washer Christian McLaughlin out there. But with Election Day now just about three weeks away, it is more important than ever for independent stations like WLRI to stay on the air. Uh, like KPFK here in Los Angeles. So if you are listening out there in Lancaster in Pennsylvania or to any of our many independent non-commercial affiliate partner stations, please consider supporting them. They could all use your financial help or your even your physical volunteer help, just as we ask for your support at bradblog.com slash donate to stay on your public airwaves without corporate or political influence. Many of our great affiliate partners do as well. So if you're listening on whether it's WLRI or any of the other uh, independent stations that carry the broadcast, please consider supporting them uh, as we barrel towards this um, election in just three weeks. I know a lot of us uh, need your support now more than ever. Uh, for some reason, corporations don't seem to you know, want to sponsor progressive independent programming. So it is up to you, our listeners, to do so. 
and uh, crucial all year round, but particularly now. Yes, because, you know, the corporate media is covering those crucial, really important stories like Kanye West being in the White House, <laughs> things that really will make a difference in your life and in the, the choices that you make. So, so it does help to support independent media because that's where you get the real story. So uh, we've been on the road for a while. I see that uh, Desi Doyen has not left her snark out <laughs> on the road. No. We are, in fact, back in Los Angeles after... After spending the last several weeks on the road due to unavoidable construction issues here at Brad Blog World News headquarters. Uh, my thanks to Angie Corro for filling in for us again over the last couple of shows as we finally made our way back and rebuilt our studio here. So thank you for that. Uh, and, we, you know, we may as well start calling this show the Georgia cast at this <laughs> point uh, for all that we have been covering the woeful state of voting in the Peach State this year. And the obscene number of hurdles that are being uh, the voters are being forced to overcome out there just to exercise their franchise in the crucial upcoming midterm elections. Now, just three weeks away, a, uh, a new problem emerged for Georgia voters on Friday, and it is not the several that have already been reported regarding the state's 100 percent unverifiable voting system or the alarming number of voting roll purges that we've seen in Georgia and other states, uh, or even the exact match registration system that has flagged over 50,000 new registrations in Georgia this year. Uh, we'll be joined by reporter Jordan Wilkie to discuss the alarming problem with absentee ballot rejection that is now emerging in Georgia this week. Sorry to have to continually be the bearer of bad news there. Um, so we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but first, by the way, voter registration deadlines coming up this week on Tuesday, October 16, in Washington, D.C., in Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nevada, New Jersey, Oregon, and West Virginia. That is all on Tuesday. Some of them uh, you know, may have online registration beyond that. Some of them may have in-person registration beyond that. But those are your deadlines for Tuesday. If you're in any of those states, get it done if you haven't already. Uh, on Wednesday, it's Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. Some um, South Carolina has had extensions because of Hurricane Florence and or maybe Hurricane Michael. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and then on Friday of this week, uh, Nebraska ends its voter registration on Friday, October 9. I'm sorry, October 19. You may still be able to uh, register in person there until the 26th in Nebraska. But uh, and then uh, let's see, Sunday will be uh, Illinois. That's the online deadline only. They will have in-person and same-day registration through Election Day in Illinois. But those are your deadlines coming up. So I want to make sure you know about them if you live in any of those states or have friends and family who live in any of those uh, states. Meanwhile, it has been five days now since Hurricane Michael slammed the Florida panhandle and worked its way up uh, the uh, southeast of the U.S. As we go to air today, search crews are still sifting through heavy rubble in Mexico Beach, Florida, and elsewhere, uh, specifically in Mexico Beach, in search of about 30 to 35 still missing people, according to the uh, city police. Dozens are still unaccounted for. 
And uh, there is great fear that the death toll from this storm might rise. Right now, uh, as we go to air, the uh, confirmed death toll is 18 people across four states from Hurricane Michael, which came on the heels of Hurricane Florence. Across the southeast right now, uh, more than a quarter million are still without power. And uh, now they are fighting with stifling heat down there without air condition in many cases, without the power. Uh, It has been a rough few days for a lot of folks in the southeast. Um, Residents in some of the hardest hit areas uh, that have still been unreachable are relying on air dropped food and water to survive. The Daily Beast reported over the weekend that many residents across Florida and other states had seen nobody yet from FEMA and or were running out of food if they had any to begin with after the record hurricane slammed Florida and Georgia and Alabama and the Carolinas and Virginia last week, uh, leaving little more than rubble in its wake in many areas. The Delhi Beast reports, for example, Panama City, gem of the Emerald Coast, looks like a bomb has been dropped on it. It's now a desolate landscape of toppled power poles, transformers, electrical lines, severed trees, metal roofing, twisted and tangled into a sea of debris. Nearly all homes, businesses, stores, banks, schools are severely damaged or destroyed. And to residents who live there, it is now unrecognizable. Schools have been closed indefinitely in parts of the panhandle without anybody knowing when any of them may be reopened. Washington Post reports that, uh, for example, Gene Lipford, living on uh, rural inland Florida on a big uh, plot of land that her family has owned since the Civil War, says uh, that she is, quote, back to frontier days. Hurricane Michael struck her town on Wednesday. She's been washing clothes in a bucket and bathing in the creek where her husband made a dam with small stones. Her 23-year-old daughter has been wielding a chainsaw, returning to the house every two hours to breastfeed their six-week-old son. Lipford said, I want power and water. The rest of it we can deal with. Well, no word on when either power or water will be restored there. It's not just in Florida, of course. Parts of Georgia, yes, have been wiped out. The damage is so widespread that Georgia Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black says he believes it will, quote, definitely be a $1 billion hit to the state's economy just from the agriculture issues alone. To recover, Black and uh, and farmers said that the federal government must come through with assistance and a lot of it. 55-year-old uh, Georgian Greg Calhoun, who had thousands of acres of crops near the Alabama border, said he and other farmers will now have to start over if they don't go out of business first, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Calhoun said there ain't a house that ain't got shingles tore off of it or trees on it, or windows blown out. He lost most of his cotton and uh, timber crops, as well as his great-great-grandfather's barn. He says, every chicken house I've been by today is torn down, power poles snapped off. I ain't talking about a small area. He says, this whole area, many farmers reportedly lost everything or near it. In, uh, in Georgia and parts of New Georgia, of uh, Georgia, the biggest crops of concern are cotton, pecans, and fall vegetables, which were all in the midst of harvest 
and most were grown within Michael's path. Combined, the crops are worth some $1.5 billion a year to Georgia's economy. The agriculture commissioner is also worried for the state's top commodity, which is poultry, because apparently several large farms are in Grady County, where he'd heard of nothing but, quote, utter devastation. So it's all a bit maddening when you then hear folks like Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Just after the southeast was pummeled by the record rainfall of Hurricane Florence, just days before being pummeled again by the record storm uh, storm force winds from Hurricane Michael. When you hear Rubio going on the Sunday shows to spout some of the nonsense uh, that he did after his own home state just got absolutely slammed by yet another hurricane. On Sunday on uh, CNN with Jake Tapper, Rubio said he recognized that uh, the, the globe is in fact warming and is specifically uh, sea levels are rising. I guess that's a specific concern for folks in Florida uh, because the sea levels are posing a serious threat to the state. But he rejected the idea that the U.S. must transition away from fossil fuels in order to avoid catastrophic global warming, even though the world's scientists are warning this over and over and over again, as they did in yet another alarming report from the U.N. just last week. Instead, Marco Rubio, the Republican Florida senator, said that we need to prioritize mitigation against the effects of climate change rather than doing anything to, you know, try to stop it. No matter what we do with laws, if tomorrow we stopped all carbon, let's say we went to all, you know, uh, uh, solar panels and did all that stuff, which is not realistic, there still would be this still this trend would still continue. And so we're going to have to do something about the impact that it's having on low-level coastal areas. Mm -hmm. And that means mitigation, hardening, uh, lifting, uh, how we manage water. We're all over that. We've been working on that very hard and continue to uh, strategies to mitigate against those factors that are going to be in place no matter what happens with our energy policy. But I'm also not going to destroy our economy. There's a reality here and there's a balance on that end of it mm. that we need to be focused on. I see. So he's <laughs> somewhat concerned about all of this, but he's not going to destroy our economy. Desi Doyen, I just went through, um, you know, one a point after another that is going to cause billions and billions, tens of billions, most likely, in oh, state yeah. after state to deal with just that one hurricane. Never mind a Florence before it and last year, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Maria and, and Hurricane, Hurricane Irma. Irma. Um, but he doesn't want to destroy our economy. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, who, who would want to destroy the economy by preventing all of those billions of dollars in damages caused by burning fossil fuels, caused by global warming? Because, you know, he really is talking about uh, fossil fuel profits. What he really doesn't want to destroy are the profits of the fossil fuel industry, because it's clear it is obvious to anybody with eyes to see who's honest and good faith about this that uh, climate change is already causing a huge economic impact to the United States and around the world. I mean, Michael is likely to be among the uh, tw it's likely to be the 12th billion dollar disaster in 2018. We've had 12. Now, every year, the number of billion-dollar disasters, that's disasters that cost more than a billion dollars in damage or in recovery costs, that uh, has increased every single year since about 2000. We've had more and more every single year. 
And then uh, Donald Trump went on uh, 60 Minutes and he said uh, something similar when he was he well, he was asked um, along similar lines uh, whether climate change uh, was a hoax, as he has said it has been in the past. You know, and this question was asked in the wakes of, as I said, hurricanes, Harvey, Irma, Maria and Florence and Michael, all within just the past year, those hurricanes alone. And whether he still believe it's all believes it's all a big hoax, as he has said previously, here's part of his answer, which echoed uh, Rubio's denial regarding the economy. Do you still think that climate change is a hoax? Look, I think something's happening, something's changing, and it'll change back again. I don't think it's a hoax. I think there's probably a difference, but I don't know that it's man-made. I will say this. um, I don't want to give trillions and trillions of dollars. I don't want to lose millions and millions of jobs. I don't want to be put at a disadvantage. Which part of the trillions and trillions of dollars is he talking about? Because, frankly, climate change is already costing us trillions and trillions of dollars. Oh, but don't worry. It's going to change back again, he just said. Oh, yeah. It's all going to just change back again. He doesn't know if it's man-made. But, yeah, this seems to be the new thing from Republicans. Uh, Okay, we agree. It's happening. We don't know why, but we don't want to destroy the economy to deal with it. That's the new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're shifting again. This is what they do. You know, we call it the five stages of climate change denial. Uh, first, they say it's not happening. Then they say, oh, it's not us. Then they say it's not that bad. Then they say, oh, it's too costly. And then eventually they get to it's too late. That's the five stages of climate science denial. What happens when it's too late? Oh, good luck to y'all. Yeah, See good luck later, to y'all. See you later. Keep burning fossil fuels. Keep buying fossil fuels. We couldn't possibly consider even the thought of changing over away from fossil fuels. So now he's uh, Marco Rubio and Trump are both past the it's not happening stage, although Trump's, you know, he he prevaricated there. He said, uh, oh, I never I don't think it's a hoax, but I think it could change back. And, And Leslie Stahl, to her credit, did press him on that and say, that's denial. But he, you know, brushed right past it again. And now Rubio and Trump are both saying we don't know how much the human impact is and we can't do anything until we know that for sure. That's a lie. Climate scientists globally have all said all of the observed warming that we've seen on the planet in the last half century is caused by humans. All of it. Paul Krugman, economist over at New York Times, says the idea that he was responding to um, Rubio's comments on CNN, said the idea that climate policies would, quote, destroy our economy is disinformation spread by fossil fuel interests and right wingers. No serious analyses suggest that a carbon tax or an equivalent would wreak havoc on the economy. He says it's amazing how these people think that market economies are magic, that they're able to cope with just about anything, but they will shrivel in the face of a modest price on emissions. Um, And also remember, numerous studies. um, For every single year, there are dozens of studies that examine the economic impact of transitioning. And all of them, and I mean all of them, say that it is going to be much more expensive to try to deal with these impacts of climate change that are happening now than it would be to transition, because we're already going to spend that money on fossil fuels, so instead we'll spend it on renewables instead. A commenter responded to Krugman to say, well, things market economies can survive. Crop failure, mass immigration, salination of of fresh water reserves, shrinking glaciers, 
glacial reserves, insect-borne diseases, permanent drought, but things that market economies just can't survive? A carbon tax. All right. uh, Speaking of problems that are in Florida and Georgia, once again this year, voters in both of those states are being forced to fight like hell to get registered, to stay registered, to vote and to ensure that their vote is actually counted. Several troubling reports from both states are ahead. And one of the journalists on the ground in the Peach State trying to cover them will join us in a little bit. All of that is ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate And thanks. Yeah. Back down to Georgia and the devil who seems to have gone down there. Uh, Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our friend Susan... S, who used to go by Four Earth, is not the devil, but she <laughs> went down to Georgia and she sends this comment over the uh, over the weekend. Hi, Brad and Desi. Let me tell you and your readers about my recent absentee voting experience. She says this year I moved from Seattle to a little town in Georgia. Washington state is an all mail in uh, ballot state and they don't boot you off the rolls unless You ask them to, she says. She says, I heard all of the stories about how poor the election integrity is here in Georgia and how the guy in control of the touchscreen, 100 percent unverifiable, no paper trail machines. That would be Secretary of State Brian Kemp was also running for governor against the awesome progressive black woman, Stacey Abrams. She says, I went into voter shock. I didn't want my vote to be on a non-verifiable touchscreen with no paper backup where Kemp could just flip it around. So I put in for an absentee ballot, which arrived last week. She says, I want to make it harder for him to cheat. Good for her. Uh, Good for you, Susan. Um, She says, I filled it out. And this is where she's really good. She filled it out and hand carried it to the county registrar personally, since my little bitty town is actually the county seat. She says, I wanted to see where it went, of course. What happened next was very strange indeed. She said the website had said the county registrar's office was open 9 to 5. I was there around 10.30 a.m. There was a sign out front stuck in the lawn with an arrow pointing to the door that said voter registration. But the door was locked, and right in front of it, on the inside, a golf cart was parked completely blocking it what that's what she said wtf i mean why was it closed when it was almost the last day to register to vote she wondered and what was up with the golf cart anyway she says i was standing there wondering what to do when a man squeezed around the cart and unlocked the door and opened it a crack I recognized him as the registrar that had taken my hand carried application for an absentee ballot a while back, so I asked him what to do with my ballot, and he said, oh, I'll take it. 
She says, I didn't think to ask him what he was going to do with it. I had expected a sealed drop box or something like they have all over Seattle, she says. It all happened so fast, and before I could say anything, he'd started to turn away and went back, and I turned and I left. Did he throw it away? She doesn't know. Did he put it in a ballot box somewhere? She doesn't know. But adds, this is the way they vote here, I guess. Here being Georgia. Uh, Susan later told me that she votes in Georgia's Oglethorpe County, and I suggested that she share her experience about all of this with 866-OUR-VOTE, which is run by the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, uh, in case other problems pop up in the same county. If you have a strange situation, a problem like that, something that does not just seem right, please contact 866-OUR-VOTE. Let them know about it. They can put it in the database. You should also let local journalists know about the concerns as well. Uh, let uh, Also, let your uh, county headquarters know about it. In this case, the problem was the county headquarters. But let the county headquarters know, file an official complaint or a concern, let the Secretary of State know about it. In the meantime, uh, Democratic uh, uh, candidate for governor, Stacey Abrams, uh, is strongly urging her supporters to use absentee mail-in paper ballots or early voting. Uh, I'm particularly concerned about the absentee mail-in ballots. Uh, here is a Democratic uh, candidate for governor in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, with Rachel Maddow on Friday night. So you are less than um, a month out now. Polls are showing pretty much a dead heat between you and your opponent. Um, what's your take on, on how things are going and how you're going to run through these next three and a half weeks? We are incredibly excited about where we are to be in a dead heat, usually with polls that are looking at likely voters is a great thing for a Democrat to a great place for a Democrat to be because we're not counting on just likely voters. We're also counting on unlikely voters, those who don't normally show up in midterm elections. And our campaign has been working since June of 2017 to engage and turn these voters out. And we've seen extraordinary numbers. Early voting by absentee ballots are up dramatically, and they are including a lot of people of color who've never voted absentee before or participated in midterm. So we're very bullish on our ability to win. Okay, well, that sounds swell enough. Uh, remember, that was uh, that Stacey Abrams, Democratic candidate for governor. She's running against the Republican candidate, Brian Kemp, who is also the Secretary of State of Georgia and overseeing all of this. So is it a good idea, as uh, Abrams urges people, to vote by absentee, by mail, as of this past weekend, absentee voting in, in Georgia is now emerging as just the latest in a host of, frankly, ridiculous problems and obstacles being faced by voters in the Peach State. We have been covering them, like I said at the top of the show. We might as well call this the Georgia cast at this point for all that we've been covering it here on the broadcast. And while problems with their voting machines and now purges of the voting rolls are finally getting some long overdue national attention, an alarming report on Friday that has really yet to be picked up in the national media caught my eye, and it seems cause for additional concern, as if we needed any in Georgia. We will talk about that next with the journalist on the ground who is reporting on this story this week and uh, this so far underreported story could end up making the difference in who wins and loses in the Peach State on November 6th. 
That story is next on the Bradcast with who, what, why journalist Jordan Wilkie. That's next. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. A rainy night in Georgia. Said a rainy night in Georgia. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yeah, a lot of rainy nights in Georgia lately. Uh, so there is a reason that we warn folks to not use vote by mail unless folks absolutely have to. For example, if you uh, if you really are unable to vote at the polling place on Election Day or if you live in a state or county that forces you to use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines at the polling place on Election Day, that might be a reason to vote by mail. If you are forced, such as in the state of Georgia or much of Pennsylvania or in Louisiana or Delaware or many counties in Texas, just to name a few, to use a computerized voting machine on Election Day, then it makes sense to use a paper, a handmarked paper absentee ballot instead, if you are allowed to. But if possible, I always recommend that you try to drop off that handmarked paper absentee ballot at your precinct or county headquarters. Check which one is allowable beforehand. But that's the best way to maximize the likelihood of your vote being counted and tallied accurately as per your intent if you must vote either vote by mail or absentee ballot, whatever they call it, where you live. But yes, there's a reason, lots of them, that we offer this warning. Last month, for example, the Miami Herald reported a study of Florida's past two presidential elections finds that mail ballots were 10 times more likely to be rejected than votes cast at early voting sites or on Election Day. The study also found that mail ballots cast by younger voters, blacks and Hispanics, were much more likely to be rejected than mail ballots cast by white voters, and that those voters are less likely to cure problems with their ballots when they are notified by election supervisors uh, than other voters are. Of course, that presumes that such voters are notified by election officials, that there is some problem or another with their absentee ballot that would otherwise lead to its rejection. The study, according to the uh, Miami Herald, also shows that rejection rates vary widely across the state of Florida. About 1% of all mail ballots cast across Florida in those uh, past two presidential elections were rejected and not counted, according to the report by Daniel Smith at the University of Florida. He said that rate is about 10 times higher than for voters voting in person, either early or on Election Day, 10 times higher. He says this rate is substantial. We're talking about tens of thousands of people. The statewide totals were nearly 24,000 ballots in 2012 
and nearly 28,000 ballots two years ago that were tossed out. The main reasons why mail ballots are rejected are that a voter did not sign the ballot envelope or that the voter's signature on the envelope did not match the voter's signature on file with the county elections office. That, of course, can happen if only because people's signatures change over time for any number of reasons. And decisions about whether signatures match almost are always made by officials, often partisan officials, with zero experience in handwriting analysis. That report comes as voting by uh, mail continues to expand in popularity across the nation and certainly in the nation's third most populous state of Florida. But it's been expanding everywhere. Four percent of all mail ballots cast by voters aged uh, 18 to 21 were rejected in Florida. In 2012, African-Americans cast nine and a half percent of all mail ballots, but black voters cast 14 percent of all rejected mail ballots. Moreover, the rejection rates of mail ballots varied widely from county to county in 2016, according to the study in Florida. But, of course, this is not a problem only in Florida. It's also a problem in states like Georgia, where it seems just about everything having to do with elections this year in the Peach State is a problem. The election is being overseen by its Secretary of State and Republican gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp. And there seems to be a growing uh, crisis across the state as he oversees his own election in his very tight contest for the state's um, a, a gubernatorial seat against Democrat Stacey Abrams. She, if she wins, would be the nation's first African-American female governor, if elected. We've long been reporting on Georgia's very old, completely unsecure, wildly hackable, 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems, installed across the state way back in 2002 and still in use today. We've repeatedly covered the fact that the state's entire system, overseen by Kemp but run by Kennesaw State University's Center for Election Systems, was left online on a website including ballot definitions, voter registration files, and even voting system passwords for administrators, left online for anybody to download. For months and possibly years before the before both the 2016 presidential election and the runoff uh, last year to the uh, much contested special election for the U.S. House between Republican Karen Handel and Democrat John Ossoff, which Handel ended up reportedly winning by the smallest of margins after a computer tabulation error shut down counting on election night. A federal judge recently confirmed the Georgia's voting systems were completely unverifiable and must be replaced as soon as possible. But that judge allowed them still for use once again on November 6th, nonetheless, rather than allowing all voters to vote on the same paper-based absentee ballot system on Election Day that all Georgia counties have already used for many years. And then last week, we reported that an Associated Press analysis found that some 53,000 voter registrations were being flagged for failing the state's new exact match requirement that disqualifies registrations that don't perfectly match the voter's name and address on their driver's license or in the uh, Social Security database. So a missing hyphen in your last name 
or an, an initial for your middle name instead of your full middle name, or an abbreviation for the word street, or even a typo by an official inputting data into any of those da databases could result in those 53,000 voters being denied their right to vote this year. That, after Secretary of State and, yes, gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp, has overseen the purge of hundreds of thousands of voter registration records in recent years, including, according to the AP analysis, nearly 670,000 registrations canceled in 2017 alone. That's been a problem in many states this year, which is why we keep telling you to check your registrations with your county and or secretary of state. You can usually do it on, on the website there. Check them many times between now and Election Day in just over three weeks. You don't need any surprises that day. All of that has led Georgia's Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams to recommend Voters use absentee ballots to vote early in Georgia this year. But as we learned, thanks to a new report on Friday, that is also causing new problems, believe it or not. Leading Michael McDonald of University of Florida Elections Project to announce on Twitter on Friday that, quote, something's going on in Georgia's Gwinnett County. He linked to a new exclusive story at whowhatwhy.org by reporter Jordan Wilkie on the ground in the state. And that report begins thusly. Pearly Williams is an elderly black woman who lives in Gwinnett, Georgia's most diverse county, both racially and economically, like so many other African-Americans who are excited about the possibility of making Democrat Stacey Abrams the first black female governor in U.S. history, but are worried about the reliability of voting machines. Pearly Williams cast an absentee ballot this year. Her ballot has been rejected, a fate she shares with many other people of color this year, Wilkie reports. Worse yet, Williams had no idea that her vote had not been counted. Wilkie went on to report in his exclusive that Williams' mail-in ballot was among the more than 10% of absentee ballots that Gwinnett County is rejecting so far in this election, and that the entire state has a chronic problem with rejecting mail-in ballots. As the election project's McDonald notes, Georgia is rejecting more than 9% of all ballots they receive. Now compare that to the 1% that I cited as a huge problem in Florida over the last two presidential elections. And he also notes that Gwinnett County is responsible for 40% of rejections statewide in Georgia with rejection rates for Asians and African-Americans much higher than for whites. Joining us now from Georgia, I think, is Who, What, Why criminal justice reporter Jordan Wilkie. Jordan, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Glad to be here. The problems for voters in Georgia just keep coming this year, man. I, Though I suspect many of them are, are similar in other states. It's not just confined to Georgia. But what is the reason... Uh, be it from the state of Georgia in general or from officials in Gwinnett County for the alarmingly high rate of absentee ballot rejections uh, that, that you've been able to figure out, Jordan? So you mentioned the report that came out of Florida, and that was really able to delve into the history of uh, absentee ballot rejections, mail-in ballot rejections in Florida. As far as we found in our reporting, that has not happened here in Georgia. So if you want to get to the reasons, they're still unknown. 
Uh, and when I'm looking at the data here, there's a lot more stories to be told. And one of those stories is getting down to the exact cause of what is happening here. So you're saying it's different than what happened in Florida. In Florida, it was a, a lack of uh, signatures. People forgot to sign or they uh, signed, but the signature was uh, judged to not match the, the one on file. That is not the case in Georgia. You're saying they're being rejected for other reasons? I'm saying they're being rejected for similar reasons, but the exact reason why those uh, mm-hmm. rejections are being made is unknown. I, I mean, when you look at the sheer quantity that are coming out of Georgia in terms of rates of rejection, it's astronomically higher than the rates that are coming out of Florida, Mm -hmm. which was an issue of major concern for the Florida chapter ACLU. And how how do we know that minorities here, both African-Americans and apparently Asian-Americans, at least uh, as far as a percentage, that they are being rejected uh, at at much higher rates than, than white voters? So Professor Michael McDonald, who is over at University of Florida Mm -hmm. and runs the United States Elections Project, has a voter registration list for all of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Taking the list from the rejections, he was able to match voter registration numbers and get demographic information. You report, and and the numbers I should say are are kind of alarming. You've got a list of uh, uh, the rate of rejection by race in your report at whowhatwhy.org, and we will link over to that uh, when we post today's show. But looking, just looking at the the general list here, the rate of rejections for black voters, not of Hispanic voter uh, Hispanic origin, is fourteen. That's compared to white voters at 5%, and then Asian or Pacific Islander votes at 20%, although it's a a lower number of ballots because I guess there's not as many Asian and Pacific Islanders there. But these are really alarming numbers, and if extrapolated out across the state of Georgia, has uh, Michael McDonald been able to do that? Are those numbers I'm talking about right there? Uh, are those statewide numbers or just for Gwinnett County, where you were focusing specifically in your story? Those are just for Gwinnett County. The type of statewide analysis uh, that Daniel Smith over also at University of Florida was mm-hmm. able to do for the ACLU analysis has not been done for Georgia at a statewide basis. What we are seeing in Georgia statewide are these uh, rejections that you've mentioned in your introduction that mm-hmm. are disproportionately affecting minority voters. The Um, placement of 53,000 voters on uh, sort of preliminary status. They need to go and prove their identity before they're going to be able to vote. Uh, The the purging of voters, uh, as you mentioned, hundreds of thousands in the last several years by Brian Kemp's Secretary of State office target minority voters. This is just another instance. This happens on the county level with relatively minimal supervision from the Secretary of State's office that also just so happens to disproportionately affect minority voters. Uh, You mentioned, uh, Jordan Wilkie, that a lot of these voters, that these voters who are being rejected, their mail-in ballots, they're supposed to be notified about a problem with their absentee ballots, but you're finding that that is not the case, at at least for many voters in Gwinnett County, when you talk to them? I'm not finding that they are not being notified. I'm finding that they're being notified much slower than the county 
claims that it should be notifying people. The county claims that after a ballot is rejected, within 72 hours, a notice is going to be sent via first-class mail. Mm -hmm. I talked to people well outside of that timeline, and they still had not been notified. The other issue is that uh, some of these folks may not be checking their mail regularly. Mm -hmm. I talked to a couple elderly voters. Elderly voters tend to uh, vote absentee more frequently uh, or at higher rates mm -hmm. than other voters. And that may also influence their ability to properly fill out the forms, which can often be confusing. Maybe their signature has aged, and that's why it's being rejected. So another thing to really target here is that disabled and elderly people are, are disproportionately being affected by these rejections. You you report in your story that even when the notification process here, when it's when it works as it is supposed to, there's still a problem for many voters curing uh, problems on absentee uh, vote by mail ballots. Explain how the process is supposed to work, and how that can be a problem for voters who, especially those who wait until the last minute to cast their uh, to cast their mail in ballots. Well, the issue is a similar issue that you see in these other problems of of getting your ID. It's just another technical hurdle, another bureaucratic step that people are going to have to take to do something that many people aren't particularly excited to do in the first place, which is vote. Everything that is happening here is part of a systematic effort that we've seen across Georgia. And I come from North Carolina, mm -hmm. and uh, so we see this across a lot of Republican-led states. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> in North Carolina, for sure, yeah. Absolutely, where they're just a number of barriers to vote that don't need to be there and the evidence is clear that the more barriers there are the fewer people vote and all of these barriers disproportionately affect minority voters now the barriers for absentee uh, voting via mail in Georgia is if your ballot is rejected for any of these very small reasons mm -hmm. uh, that some may claim are superficial uh, and that some better counties like Henry County, they have two people dedicated to curing these ballots and have only one rejection on the books as of Thursday. Uh, some of these counties are doing a great job of follow-up. What Gwinnett is not doing is working to cure these ballots really effectively, and the, they're sending a piece of mail that notifies people uh, after a good chunk of time mm -hmm. that their ballot has been rejected, and it provides them with a new application. So that person will have to apply wait for the mail to arrive with the next ballot and submit that ballot and hope that their application and new ballot are accepted, even though they may not understand the exact sort of superficial reason why it was rejected in the first place. You mean they had to and go through the whole process? it's boring, it's because it's designed to be boring. It's <laughs> designed to uh, just create barriers that don't need to be there. So if, if I'm understanding this correctly, they have to go through the entire process again, apply again, get another ballot again, go through the whole voting process again, send it in again, and hope against hope that this time it does not get rejected, rather than going in, for example, to the county headquarters and saying, yes, that was me, that is my signature, or uh, yes, I accidentally wrote my uh, today's date instead of the my birth date on the envelope. That would not cure the ballot. Instead, they have to go through the entire process again? In Gwinnett County, it seems they have to go through the entire process again. The only thing they don't have to do is re-register. <laughs> 
That's amazing. You write about uh, Jaden Gibbs from uh, Gwinnett County on his fourth attempt to vote by mail. You say two ballot applications were rejected for a signature that did not match and for an address that was one number off, according to the county. One ballot was given an administrative cancellation, whatever that means. Uh, You speculate likely due to a mismatched address. And then his most recent ballot, his fourth has not yet been reviewed by the county. Yeah, this is very troubling, uh, particularly in a race that is potentially as close as the race between Kemp and Abrams uh, could be for uh, for governor this year. Uh, This could also go to a runoff. uh, Correct, Jordan? There's a a libertarian candidate in that race. So the winner is going to have to get 50 percent plus one in order to avoid a runoff on November 6th. So these these numbers could end up making all the difference. No. That's right. And the important thing is not just to focus on this one cause of the absentee ballot issue. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of voters Mm -hmm. for several reasons that are facing greater difficulty to gain access to the vote. The absentee ballot issue is specific to counties, but seems to be a chronic problem across Georgia and is just indicative of the the greater structural difficulties that people are uh, facing, primarily people of color that are facing to gain access to the vote, especially in this high-energy midterm Mm. and high-energy gubernatorial race that a lot of people are excited about. Do you know, I know that some states allow voters to check the the county or the Secretary of State's website to see if their uh, vote-by-mail absentee ballot had yet been received and processed. Is there a way for Georgia voters to do that, to your knowledge, or are they just uh, stuck uh, crossing their fingers and hoping they don't hear from uh, from an election official that their ballot has been rejected. There is a way for people to check uh, to see if their registration is complete and if their ballot, uh, what process, what stage of the process their ballot is in. Not many people I've talked to know about this. The activists are constantly showing people, well, look, let's check your ballot, let's check your registration. Mm-hmm. It is a fairly clunky interface, in my personal opinion, and... I've found very few standard people that I've, I've come across that actually know where this is and how to use it. Uh, where is it? Is it at the Secretary of State's website, or is it a county-by-county county, uh, situation, as far as you know? I found it on an app. An app? So you have to download an app from the Secretary of State's office, and you have to have, to have, have a, a smartphone and, and go through all of that? In theory? You know, I'm sure there's several ways to check it. This has not been part of my reporting, but mm-hmm. it is just another thing that's, you know, Brian Kemp will say that, uh, and his office has said on several occasions, that they have increased access to register to vote. And while that may superficially be true, the person who has really created a program, Stacey Abrams, to register people to vote and have you know, no doubt that mm-hmm. her uh, organizations are targeting minorities uh, and getting them out to vote because that will help her cause, uh, that there is a battle here between registering people to vote and getting people out to vote and stopping them from doing that. And I know you're uh, you're continuing to look into this and uh, you may you may be able to give us a teaser on a, on a story you're uh, hoping to break here very shortly over at Who, What, Why. 
some uh, I know it, the the question is why uh, these ballots, a lot of these ballots are being rejected. One Georgia voter cited that only month and day uh, uh, for birthday is requested on the absentee ballot envelope, but that the state law may require month, date and year, even though it says something different on the uh, on the ballot. Might might that explain why uh, some of the counties are, are choosing to reject ballots at higher rates than others? So far, only Gwinnett County has rejected ballots due to date issues. Other counties have these conflicting requirements because the law changed in 2017 2017, Mm -hmm. saying that people only need to provide their year of birth and not the month and day. Some counties are using old old ballots, uh, envelopes. But... uh, So the thing that we're reporting on and who, what, why is really focused on this and has several people on the ground is that there are multiple aspects of this effective voter suppression. We have uh, people who are going out and getting video of your, your stories of people who have faced decades, generations of voter suppression in Georgia and are just trying to get their vote out now. Mm. We have people who are uh, covering stories about cybersecurity and machine security. And uh, we have people down in Florida who are doing the same thing. And we are reporting nearly every day. There are news stories nearly every day. Uh, and I think that Who, What, Why is among the leaders in this. And we have a lot of people on the ground, unlike a lot of uh, other national organizations, mm-hmm. to really get to the heart of what is happening in Georgia and in Florida about pretty much every aspect of voter suppression and election integrity uh, in these states. And that's uh, Russ Baker's website. Uh, We've been in touch with him over the years, and I know he's uh, really focusing on this, uh, particularly in the next few weeks. Uh, Jordan Wilkie, before I let you go, uh, we've spoken on this show uh, many times with Marilyn Marks. She's uh, you know, uh, has been su- sued and is continuing to sue this, th- the state of Georgia to try to make paper ballots, handmarked paper ballots available to voters instead of the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen systems that voters have to use across the state of Georgia on Election Day. Uh, Stacey Abrams has been recommending people to vote by mail. Uh, from your reporting there, is early in-person voting a better way to vote in Georgia than either on Election Day on those machines or via uh, vote-by-mail, which can be rejected? And do you know if voters who vote that way early in-person, are they also forced to vote on those 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen systems rather than on paper? Yeah, so that's sort of the knife in the back of this process, is people are hoping to have a way to audit the election, to prove that the election outcome is what people expect it to be, which is why people are voting by mail and on paper. And when they go in to vote in person or on election day, it is on those machines that are uh, cannot be audited mm-hmm. and have wildly lax security. Uh, all one person needs to do is take under a couple minutes to break into and hack a machine and then put it back together so you would never know you got in. There have been multiple demonstrations of this, Mm -hmm. and some of our reporting has revolved around the really uh, sad state of physical security of these machines leading up to early voting and likely, we'll see again, leading up to actual election day.
So even in early voting, if you go into the county and to cast your vote, you're still going to have to vote on one of those unverifiable touchscreens? Absolutely. And if people are following the news, yeah. uh, there's already been problems with Internet connections and uh, those machines failing, especially in Fulton County. Oh, brother. Okay, well, uh, the fight to vote continues uh, once again this year in Georgia, in Florida, and just about everywhere else. Jordan Wilkie, really appreciate your coverage there from on the ground in Georgia. Uh, I hope you will stay in touch as uh, your work moves forward. We'll also stay in touch with Russ at uh, Who, What, Why uh, over the next few weeks. You can uh, check out his work at whowhatwhy.org. You can follow him on the Twitters at T underscore Wilkie. Jordan Wilkie is a criminal justice reporter now covering election integrity and election justice at whowhatwhy.org and elsewhere. Jordan, really appreciate you joining us today. Please stay in touch, my friend. All right. Thank you for having me on. You bet. I don't know how many times over the past few weeks, maybe I should say the past many years, but Hmm. definitely over the past few weeks, I have had to say it should not be this hard. Yeah, we are down to a street fight. I mean, this is street by street, county by county battle to the fight for the right to vote, the fight to get to vote. Just to and vote, no matter who you're voting for, but oh, just yeah. to have your vote, uh, be able to vote, to have your vote counted, counted as cast. It's Yeah, they're obscene. coming up with new and quite inventive ways to stop you from voting. So don't let them vote. Well said. Uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, thank you very much. Of course, my thanks to Jordan Wilkie and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find and follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks as well. I am the Brad Blog. We cover this stuff, as you know, all the time, but... It only works as well as people hear it and share it. So uh, please uh, find and follow us at uh, The Brad Blog on Facebook and Twitter and share these shows and these stories. Let everyone know about it. Uh, okay, that's... Oh, also, my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. We couldn't do any of this without you and your support. Needed now more than ever at bradblog.com slash donate. We've been fighting like hell to stay on your public airwaves uh, throughout this year, at least until this year's election. Looks like we're going to make it, but uh, not without your help. So thank you for that. All right, that is it. We will be back again tomorrow. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 